Well, thank you, Peter, and uh, the rest of the band. Uh, as usual, uh, Peter, uh, Chris sometimes comes up here, um, our lead pastor, and says, sometimes you can kind of just stop right now and just go over to the next part of the sermon, because they've already kind of done it all through our worship. But uh, I do want to share with you a little bit today, um, and want to say, first of all, again, a welcome uh, to Hiawatha Church. My name is Chris Thompson. Uh, I am one of the elders here at Hiawatha, and have been for the past uh, seven years or so. And um, as part of our role uh, as we lead and teach in church is uh, once a year or so, sometimes more often we get up here and preach. Uh, last week, Jesse was up here, and, um, and we've had Peter up here before in the last couple of months. So uh, it's been a blessing to be part of this, this church plant really since the beginning. Um, back in, uh, so over 11 years ago, we were, I remember sitting in our, um, our old house at my wife Sarah's graduation party and talking to Chris and Mike Devereaux, our former pastor here, about uh, this whole church plant thing. And really uh, it's kind of cool to look back every time and to see what he's done these past 11 years through our church. And uh, it's really been a joy to prepare for today as well as to um, think about how what I'm going to share with you here today. Um, first, a little bit about myself. Um, this is uh, some pictures of our, my, my family. And uh, by the way, these were all uh, given permission by them to, uh, to be up here. Um, my wife, Sarah, uh, first and foremost, is a very talented woman. In addition to being uh, an amazing wife and mother, is uh, the starter of an international development consulting firm. And if you want to know more about that, you can ask her. My, my elevator speech on that is, is getting better, but still pretty difficult to explain all of what she does. But it's a lot of really cool stuff. Um, one of the benefits of being um, her husband uh, of many is that we get to go into some cool places to be part of this. And so the picture in the upper right there is, um, it's hard to tell a little bit, but we're traveling up uh, what's called Table Mountain in Cape Town, South Africa. Never been there before, but um, there was an international development conference there last fall, so we were able to go and spend some time there. And uh, we get to, to travel a bit to see that, so it's been a, a huge blessing. Um, we have my oldest is in the lower left there, and uh, this is a photo he stole from phone and took a picture of himself, and it's hard to find a lot of pictures without Luke uh, in, that, <laughs> in that face, but um, he is our, here's our oldest. He loves music, and he loves uh, his little sisters, and he is, uh, loves movies, and he also just recently got a job at Chipotle, so if you want to go uh, see his skills at work in uh, 26 in Hennepin, you can go visit him uh, there. Um, and he's heading into his junior year of high school at Hope Academy. Um, Eloise, in the upper left-hand corner there, she is our newly minted teenager, looking the part there in the, on the picture that's on her 13th birthday this summer, and uh, you can't see in the picture, but she does have her, her new and very uh, greatly desired gift, which was an iPhone, so I apologize to any parents of teenagers who have not yet gotten to that point yet, but um, you can come talk to me and complain about it later, but she did get an iPhone for her 13th birthday, very excited about it, and, uh, and we love uh, her energy and uh, the fact that she is a gymnast, she really works hard at that and um, has done that for the past four years or so. She's heading into eighth grade. And our baby, in quotes, Kate in the lower right-hand corner, uh, she was not around when Hiawatha started. Now she turned 10 this summer. She loves a lot of things, reading uh, and being very creative. So she, right there in the picture has our bunny. Uh, that's Ralph. And you can't quite see it, but uh, she wanted for her birthday to dye Ralph blue. That was her desire uh, one of, on her list of things. Um, and she also likes to make signs and just creative things. So this is, uh, she gave this to me on my birthday. And if you know me, if you can't read it, you'll understand. It says, to shrink a Dorito bag, just give them to my dad. So uh, this captures my love of Doritos and my love of weird experiments that I try to figure out for my classes that uh, work. So Kate made a sign. So if you ever want to shrink a Dorito bag, talk to me and I can, I can help you with that. Or talk to Kate because she knows about it too. Um, in my non-preaching time and, and teaching here at Hiawatha, uh, I am a children's minister uh, here. So downstairs, we work with the kids and uh, worship as well as the classes. And then um, I teach full-time at Hope Academy in Minneapolis, um, where I teach high school science. 
And so in my time here as an elder, uh, we've been given lots of different questions and passages to preach on. And um, today was simply an an open mic. You saw the sign up there earlier, uh, which kind of left the entire Bible for me to cover. And that can be a little bit overwhelming sometimes to say, okay, what do I want to take and and go to here? So my my mind is one that kind of goes about a million different places. But I I started realizing this summer, uh, I teach, so Hope has uh, summer school, and they go into into June, and um, as part of that, we have like a morning devotional with uh, some middle school kids. I had a small group that was for reading, and with that and a few other things that were happening just in in the other classes that I was teaching, I kind of kept coming back to uh, what is frequently a comment, not only for middle schoolers, but I feel like it is something that that kids give a lot. I kept coming to the same passage uh, as I was trying to um, help them understand it and help them to see this aspect of God and Christ's character. But also, um, as God usually does when when you do that, is that then he kept pointing that back to me. So I felt like that was, uh, he was kind of leading me to this passage um, in Matthew 20. And so um, that's what we're going to be looking at here today. And I I kind of uh, phrased it uh, on this, this light of, is the gospel fair? Um, I, uh, this is something that uh, I've thought about a lot, and again, recently has really come to the, the forefront, and so um, I want to address that here in our, our passage from Matthew 20. Um, so before we begin, we uh, just pray for our time and for um, this passage. God, thanks so much for this day and for your grace to us uh, to be here, the gorgeous weather and the chance to uh, gather together as your people and to praise you and to learn from your word and uh, to gather together and to support each other and love one another. Um, we just ask that you'd use this time for your glory, uh, that you would teach through, uh, through my, my time here and that you would uh, reach those uh, with the message that you'd have for them here today. Uh, we love you and lift up all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so before reading the parable itself, I think it's helpful to get a sense of where this comes from. So parables, as you probably know, uh, were stories that Jesus told in different contexts to help elaborate a point that either maybe he had uh, planned beforehand and, and probably all things he had planned beforehand, but some just definitely seemed to come out of the moment of what was going on uh, in that, that time. And so these uh, tend to highlight a certain element of God's character and the nature of his kingdom, and today's is no different. So we're going to actually go back a little bit beforehand to set the stage for what is going on here. Uh, this is in Matthew 19, 20 through 30. This is not in your worship folders, but you can, uh, it's on the screen and you can look it up uh, in the Pew Bibles if you would like to. It says this, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So if you look at the verses leading up to this, this exchange here, you remember the interaction with the rich young ruler who asked what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And he gives him an instruction about uh, following the law and says, uh, then he says, give all you have to the poor. And there's this very negative reaction from this ruler. He, he kind of walks away because he has a lot of money. And so his disciples have seen this interaction and then we have Jesus responding this way. So he, he's elaborating that, that to his disciples that it is only with great difficulty that a rich person can enter the kingdom. Or to paint this picture that we have here, it is easier for a camel to fit through the opening the size of a 
the, the head of a needle. Um, and so th there's this, uh, this is one of those things when you look to the internet, and sometimes it, it's helpful, sometimes not, but here is something that is impossible. So we get our picture. Uh, I think it'll show up here. Maybe. There we go. Okay, so this is the best the internet could offer for the camel fitting through the eye of a needle. Uh, I don't know if that's like God's giant hand or a really small camel or something, but that is the picture we have that Jesus paints for his disciples that is, that is impossible. Like, obviously, it's kind of a ridiculous picture. Like, this is, it's meant to be something that uh, it is an impossible thing. And so sometimes that can, that can be kind of pointed to, and, and uh, partly really so, to say that uh, with great wealth, it is, it is very, very difficult. It is impossible to enter the kingdom of God. That's true. Um, and yet, his disciples do recognize, then, the broader question here, because it doesn't just say that that means if you have a lot of money, you cannot be saved, right? It's recognizing a, a greater question than they ask, right, very, very pointedly, and, and understandably so. They say, who then can be saved? Who, if anybody? If God is asking for the impossible, how can anybody at all uh, be saved. And so this is, uh, this is one of those, like in all these parables, interactions with Jesus, you see his heart for, for his people and for wanting them to really understand. And so um, he recognizes the, the distress of this question. So on the, the, the one side we have, can anybody be saved? Like, is it, this is impossible. We have this picture. How is that, how is that even uh, going to happen? And he says, with, with Christ, with God, it is possible. He quotes from Job 42, uh, two, when he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So in the gospel, what is impossible is made possible. That is he, that's his short response as a comfort and a guide to them. So Jesus makes the impossible, the salvation of anybody, possible. Now the disciples probably don't fully understand how he'll do this as we see other, other spots where they really don't know what he's talking about when he talks about the fact that he has to die. So it's a, a separate thing for right now, but he, they, they are comforted by his reassurance that Okay, I don't quite know how yet, but this impossibility is going to be made possible. And so right away, so we start off over here, right away we have this response from Peter. And remember that Peter, some other things uh, from the gospel we know from him is that he uh, ran out onto the water right away when he saw Jesus walking towards him and then uh, started to lose his footing and lose his faith and kind of uh, start to sink. Um, we also uh, know Peter was the one who said, I would never forsake you, I'd never deny you. And then he goes and... Uh, uh, by the fire uh, near, near um, Jerusalem, where Jesus is being crucified, he denies Jesus three times. So he's, he's very bold and brash, kind of quick to step out and quick to, to make his, his claim and make his, uh, his questions and his, his place known. And he goes right from the spot of being, this is impossible, and then going, okay, well, look at all we've done. He points to his own obedience and says, uh, and his own trust to ask, what will the followers of you, Jesus, what will we have in the future in light of what we've given up? So it kind of goes a very big like 180. He's over here like, can anybody be saved? And then, okay, well then what are we going to get? Like that's a, it's a pretty big swing. And again, you, you read the heart of Jesus to recognize that he kind of sees this. Obviously, it's, uh, it's Jesus, but he also doesn't just reprimand him and say, you're not getting it, right? He's, he says, he reassures him that there are in fact rewards in heaven. And uh, he, he describes this uh, judging the 12 tribes on a throne, inheriting a hundredfold of what they've been given in addition to salvation. So the, he doesn't ch chide them. He actually like, explains a little bit, and there's things there I won't go into, but uh, that there is, there is salvation, there is reward. All right? So a pretty amazing vision of what is to come. So if you're a disciple that is following this, this guy that you know a lot about, you've seen his miracles, not quite sure all of what he's doing, and then uh, you, you, are, you hear this, you're like, okay, I, great, I, I know this now. It's not impossible. God's going to make it possible, and here's, here's something I can cling to. 
Um, and if you, if you know anything about the rest of uh, Peter's life after uh, Jesus was, was uh, crucified and, and resurrected is that he actually was crucified in Rome about 30 years later and asked to be crucified upside down uh, to not be similar to Jesus' death um, as a, just a, a way to show that he definitely had a lot of trials in his life as a result. So this vision that Jesus gave him of the future was one that, uh, that he clung to even until the end. So there's been this big transition from nobody can be saved into, okay, what's our reward? And Jesus tells them the truth, but he recognizes the hearts of man. In John 2.23, he says this, uh, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name, and when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people, and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So he, he sees through, I mean, this is one of the, the truths about the Gospels that is, that is frightening in a way, but also very revealing. Like there, we can't hide anything from God. We can't hide anything in our, in our hearts. And he knows what's going on. And he knows what's going on in the hearts of his disciples right here who have kind of traversed this huge gap and are, are kind of in this spot where, where he, he wants them to be, and yet he wants them to see something else about that. So yes, there is a reward, but he knows the heart of man and what is tempted to do. So it, it is at this moment then that he adds the line, but many who are first will be last and last first, and then explains it with a parable. So that this setup, I think, is important to understand this parable to see where the disciples have come from, this, this big swing. So then he says this in Matthew uh, 21 to 16, uh, most of which is there on your, your handout. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go to the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And to them he said, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go to the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But to each of them, they also received a denarius. And on receiving it, on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. So now, in in hearing this again and in reading this, I, I just kind of ask the, the question, it's always a good one, is, is to, especially those who maybe um, either you're a believer or definitely have heard this before, is kind of take it, take it back again as a new, a new story. Um, because I, I, I would challenge you, and, and maybe not everybody, but uh, for me and for I think a lot of people and the disciples, that what the phrase that sums this up is that that's not fair. Now, um, I, I've talked to people about this even this last couple of weeks as I was thinking about this sermon, and, and some uh, don't have quite the response that I do, but I, I could list a number of examples of where I, you just get this sense of this is definitely not what I would have done. Um, it's actually thought of an example for me. The, the summer that Kate was born, so now um, 10 years ago, uh, I, just the way 
like teaching sellers were set up. I needed some money in the summer, and I ended up working uh, for a friend of mine, uh, his remodeling business. And so uh, a lot of the days in July, I remember it was in July, so now 10 years ago, um, I was working up in an attic trying to like pull wires through. Um, so it was like very, very hot. It wasn't air-conditioned. It was full of like this batting insulation. And uh, I was up there. I didn't know it really a ton about uh, electrical work and just kind of doing what um, the, the uh, guy that I was working with was telling me to do. Um, but it was very, very uncomfortable. And while I loved uh, learning about things, that aspect of the work I did not love. I will just uh, confess to that. Um, but I needed the money. And um, had there been somebody else who came at like, you know, our days ended around 5.30, who came like at 4.30 and, uh, and then worked for the hour. And I found out later, I wouldn't have cared had I not know, but if I found out that he was getting my same pay, I definitely would have been frustrated, uh, to say the least. And I, and I think that uh, it, this parable is said for that reason, to, to get us to feel that way. I, I believe that it is intentional. All right? And that's the nature of parables, that these stories that Jesus gets at something that he wants us to understand more about. So we hear this and think it's unfair, and that's what it's supposed to do. It makes us uncomfortable and doesn't sit exactly well. I think it's not how I would have done things. And if you ever get to that point in reading the Bible or listening to uh, somebody uh, talk about Jesus, talk about God, um, there's different ways to kind of to go with that. Is that uh, obviously look to the scriptures, but if you find yourself like, that's not how I would have done it, um, kind of check where you're going with that because oftentimes that can lead into uh, wrong thinking about God and ultimately into just kind of wandering way, way far away with, with truth. Um, so when I think that, this response, it should kind of get me to think, what, is it, what does he mean by this? Um, and in fact, um, I think there's something that not just the disciples or me, or if you're listening to this, uh, uh, think about, but in general, I think in the country and world, we, we value fairness uh, to a very high degree. Um, again, kind of random things come to mind here as I, I was preparing, and uh, one, my, my daughter for her birthday asked for Calvin and Hobbes, the collection of uh, those, and so I happily bought them for her so that I could also read them as well. And this is um, one that I, that I read, I remember from, from growing up and reading them, if you've never read it, uh, you might be uh, not familiar with it, but uh, you give Calvin and his dad, and he says, why can't I stay up late? You guys can. And he screams, it's not fair. And his dad, of course, this is a phrase we as parents say a lot, uh, the world isn't fair, Calvin, and he says, no, but why isn't it ever unfair in my favor? All right? Um, so really, he recognizes that it's not fair, but he wants, he wants more for himself. Um, and, and more, kind of more seriously, more broadly, I think that we see that when, when, we, when somebody doesn't play by the rules, um, especially like if an authority uh, does that, we get upset and we understandably want it dealt with. We want the same treatment to apply to everybody in society, uh, regardless of their standing. We have an equal protection clause in the 14th Amendment, and we rightfully so want people to have the same opportunities to be treated fairly in school and in work and other areas of life. Um, I had a conversation just about uh, six months ago, maybe it was last summer, uh, they come around a uh, neighborhood a lot, just a lot of p- political petitions and different things that are going on, and um, he was signing, uh, wanted me to sign something for the, there was a, a, an act pl- placed in Minneapolis to allow part-time workers to earn sick pay, I think that was the, what it was about, and so it, the bulk of his argument, we talked for a long time, and it was just an interesting guy to talk to, and he said um, that it was about fairness, like if a CEO should be able to earn sick time or a you know, full-time employee, so should kind of the lowest uh, worker on the totem pole, a part-time worker, if they work 100 hours, they should be able to earn uh, some extra time on that, and I, I resonated with me for sure and gave him some money, and that's, that was part of, the, part of his argument, really the main argument was that it was, uh, it was not fair the way things currently were. And I, w- I would say this is a good thing. I, I'm, I, don't think, I don't think we're supposed to take this parable and then go into our lives and find ways to seek unfairness. That is not where we're supposed to go with that. But, but it, is, it is the words of Jesus in a parable that are there on a 
on purpose to tell us something about the kingdom of God. Um, it's a glimpse into God's kingdom, so we shouldn't ignore it or stand in opposition and say, well, this, let's just kind of write off this part of the Bible because I don't really like it, right? Let's, let's try to better understand what it's doing and what this tension might do to point us to Christ and a greater appreciation for his work. So I do want to take a look at uh, some of the characters and people in, the, uh, in this parable and to get a better understanding of what it's, what it's telling us. Um, so first and foremost, we have the, the master of the house. Um, the one who not only owns and ensures the care of his vineyard, but the one who seeks the workers for it. This is a picture of God and his people, his kingdom. So a few things to note about his character in the parable. One is that he is out early, making sure there are workers to tend his vineyard. And also notice that he's the one who goes out to seek them. Right? He goes out to find the workers that he needs for his vineyard. Um, he is not idly standing by. He's not waiting for somebody to drop by and says, I've got all this work I've got to do. I just hope somebody comes by and starts working. No, he goes out and finds them, and he agrees on a good wage. Denarius was a standard day wage, not exorbitant, but uh, fair. And when he gets some to start the work, he goes out and finds them again. There's the earlier, and then the later, and then finally the, the very end of the day workers. Um, and also notice that in this interaction with the master, that there's a, a difference in how the rounds of workers agree. So the first ones agree to a payment, but the next one, he, doesn't, uh, he goes out and finds them and just says, whatever is right, I will pay you. Whatever is fair. They don't ask for details. They just go, right? And um, the last ones then, they are just, he just asks them, what are they doing? And he says, they're idle. And then they just go. Like, they, nobody's hired us. And he says, go to the vineyard. And they just go. Like, the first ones kind of need some details. The second ones get at least a little bit of a promise of something. And the last ones, just, they just listen. So I think that's an interesting change in progression of, of how they respond to. So we see that the master is generous with his wealth. He's willing to give much uh, to those who are in his household and in his vineyard. He's caring, he's in control, and he is a seeker of those that are outside to come and get them. This is a picture of God. So this is one aspect that we are seeing in this parable. Uh, the second thing I want to look at is then, sorry, it's here, is the vineyard itself. And this, uh, this image this is one we see other places too. Um, in this context, the master is caring for his vineyard, seeking its welfare, and calling more to come and work in it. Um, we see this image as well in John 15, 1-5. This is uh, not printed, but you can look it up. I'll read it here from, uh, from John. It says this, I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is speaking to his disciples again, and God the Father is the vine dresser, or the master from our parable, and that Jesus himself is the vine into which the disciples, or the followers of Christ, the church in today's age, must abide in order to produce any fruit at all. The laborers are not called to sit and watch, so it's not that they're invited in and they're just to sit down, but they're invited in. Once they're in, then begins the work of Christ in this world. So while idleness, that word idle comes up a lot, outside the vineyard is not desired, so that the workers are complaining of just being idle. They're not doing anything, right? The work on the vineyard comes after they are called by the master. They don't first demonstrate the ability to go prune vines very well, whatever that looks like, um, and their talents and their greatness, and then are called in. He's not looking out there and saying, oh, that guy is really good with his grapes. I'm going to go get him, 
right? He just goes and takes them and says, come, all right? Um, the, I just think about this with uh, Luke getting a job, right? They didn't, he didn't go to Chipotle and they said, okay, I want you to make a burrito for me right now, like all from start to finish, and then, then you'll be hired. They hired him, and then they showed him how to do it. Then he, then he started to work. He had his position, and then he started to do his job. Paul puts this idea of the order of belief and works very well in a, in a very um, uh, appropriate verse in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Uh, whoops. Uh, he says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there's, a, there's an order that's really important here, is that they're called, there is work to be done, but the calling comes first, and then they're working out in that. Right? They're working on the vine after they've been called by the master. And then finally, we have the laborers themselves. There are a few different varieties that come into our parable. Um, we have, and, and in general, the laborers do represent believers in the kingdom, and I'll explore that a little bit more here, but uh, there's, there's a couple different types here. So initially, there's nobody. There's just the master. Uh, but he goes out and seeks those early risers and begins to call them to the work that he has to do. He called them early to get started because things had to get going, and they worked all the way until the end of the day. Now, now notice here, too, that in the, in the, the part of the working part of the parable, um, they're content to do so in their initial arrangement. There was an agreement about their pay, which they did receive, and there was no problem during their labor. It doesn't, it doesn't say that when it was really, really hot and it, they were struggling, they were complaining to their master about their wages or about their circumstance. They were working, and it was, it was hot, the heat of the day, but they were going about it uh, just fine. Their discontentment only occurs at the end of the day when they start to see that the money was going to those arrived later, uh, that they became ungrateful and started to grumble. They reinterpreted their earlier condition in light of what they had just seen. So it, I, I think this is, again, uh, one of these places where I, I think human nature, if we were honest with ourselves about what we, what we see and experience is that we've had times like this where we see something that we're, we're content and we see something else and we're like, oh, look at that thing over there. I wish that I had that thing. Um, it can be small, it can be very big, but this is, this is a part of humanity that I believe Jesus is getting at here and recognize that even in, in the walk of a believer that they can be tempted by this. They lost sight of their purposeful work. Uh, uh, the master had called them to work they were going to get their wage for and also had a purpose in what they were doing. Their good master who was, uh, was trustworthy and generous um, and all the blessings that had been given to them. And they grumble about not their own wages. Again, they're not grumbling about the fact that they uh, they didn't get what they were told they were going to get. They're grumbling about his generosity, uh, which, is, which is just kind of crazy to me. And yet, um, again, this is someone that I think is part of human nature that can happen. They turned on the very one who sought after them. One of our biggest, what I think is the biggest apologetic of the Bible that really strikes it to be true is that we can see ourselves in these, uh, in these parables and in the times we see people, many people in the Bible fail. A lot of people uh, that are failing at doing what they're supposed to do. Um, and that even in Christ, we can struggle with jealousy, jealousy and covetousness of other believers and God's generosity to them, um, especially when we lose sight of the fact of the grace that we have in Christ. We start to think, I deserve this, instead of it's been given. Now, the other workers coming later in the day uh, are similar in that they are standing idle, and they're not described as taking initiative or turning in an application. So they're waiting, effectively not doing anything. And when the master comes... Uh, they trust he's going to deliver them a fair wage. No details given. 
They aren't even, uh, they're simply instructed and they go. There must be something that is drawing them in, especially again, those last workers at the 11th hour. If they're being able to, to see, there's got to be some aspect of the master and his, the way he works that he, they want to be there. Um, they're standing idle, but they're not even told that they're going to be paid at all. Like they just trust that, that there's something good that's going to happen as a result of them being called by this master. Um, I don't know, I, I, I've read of stories of different companies that people apply to them not even really knowing exactly what they um, if they have an exact skill set for it, they just want to work in this place because they've heard about all the, the benefits or how the, the things work in the company. They just want to, they want to be part of that no matter what it might be. So there's a degree of, there's a, an attractiveness to this vineyard that they are just drawn to it at the end when they are called. And so all these laborers in represent believers. Remember, this is told in response to the questions from the disciples as a way to illuminate this aspect of God's kingdom. Um, elsewhere, in Matthew 9, Jesus calls, himself, or calls his followers also laborers, um, and in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 9, Paul says the same. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. The story then is told for disciples and believers' benefit and understanding. It can be tempting as a Christian to go from that initial recognition of the amazing grace that is offered in Christ and then to kind of a rewards or a works-based mentality in the day-to-day life. Sometimes this is kind of referred to as like a Jesus plus theology where, yes, I need, I need salvation by Jesus' grace on the cross for me, but I also have to do these certain set of things. I've got to fast a couple times a week or I've got to volunteer in this place or I've Whatever that might look like, that, we're, that we, can, we can turn into something that we have to do in order to earn that back again. If this is the way the kingdom functioned, right, the master would have paid like we probably think is, is fair in our like, real-life context. It's not wrong for you to pay a worker who comes in at the last part of the hour, uh, you know, the one hour's worth of wage versus ten hours. That's not a wrong thing. That's not the point. What it's saying is that the kingdom of God and, and God's interaction with us is not like that, Right? It's not fair by our definition of it. In fact, it's very, very unfair, but here's the point at which we have to recognize that it's unfair in our favor. So that, that picture of Calvin saying, why is it never unfair in our favor? It actually is. It's, in, it, it's eternally unfair in our favor because it's, uh, that is what grace is. Grace is that God has been unfair to us through his work on the cross. If you are in Christ today and believe that, know that again and afresh that, that we did not earn that, that God gave it to us, and that is very unfair. Thank God. God in his mercy did something that was unfair to send his son for our sake to die on the cross. We need to be reminded of that weekly, daily in our lives. We, uh, human nature, I think, tends us towards a works-based, but I did this, and there's some aspect of this process that, that involved me, Right? We need to fight against this temptation and uh, to do more things to earn God's favor. That's not how it works. The work that we do has already been done for us in Christ, and then we just kind of flow through that as he gives us, as he gives us power. This parable shows again how unexpected and amazing and praiseworthy Christ is. So that doesn't still surprise you and amaze you. I pray that it does. I know that I, I struggle with that sometimes myself, many times, where I need to ask God to, to really um, uh, bring that afresh to my, my own self and my own heart as I look to what he's done. Um, it, it's interesting to see when you think about these things again or when you're kind of confronted and kind of mulling it over of just what different images God brings to you. Um, and this is, this is one uh, that, helpful or not, I, I thought of it. Um, when I was in uh, high school, 
um, I had a basketball coach, and he was a, if anybody ever knows, um, who's ever, who knows who Bobby Knight is as a coach? Okay, so it's like half. Bobby Knight was, was uh, definitely not like a warm and cuddly guy in terms of a coach. He coached Indiana and, and Texas Tech and I think somewhere else too before that. But um, he, uh, he's known for getting very angry, a lot of cursing and throwing things. This is a famous incident. He threw a chair on the, on the court. This was kind of like our coach in high school. Um, and when I, when I was a junior, so the year before I'd gone to the state tournament and so we were supposed to be pretty good, um, uh, and we had a stretch where we really played pretty badly. Um, and and one, of the, one game in particular, I remember we played at St. Agnes, St. Agnes, a school in St. Paul. We should have beaten them, and we didn't. We lost, and it was, it was uh, you know, in, a, in the high school, you know, realm of things was kind of a big deal. Um, and so we, we fully expected, uh, in fact, like from every previous example, even like small things of like being late for practice, whatever, the, the answer was always like negative reinforcement. Like he was not, not one to really give you like little prizes or stickers. It was like, you're just going to run a lot more. In fact, um, anybody ever run killers before in any sport? particularly basketball. Okay, good. So you have that image. So we'd, we, were, we were definitely expecting, at, I don't know, a dozen or more of those. You just hold the basketball above your head and you run back and forth and back and forth. So we had this, this image of we, we're going to definitely pay for what we did not accomplish, like our, our, lack, of, our lack of play in this game. And, and to even make it worse, we met, there was like a little note in our locker, like, you know, practice meets in the conference room and we're like, oh man, that's always bad news because like somebody's getting cut or some like we're just really like he's going to have a sit down to yell at us. Like it was just one of those times. And uh, so he gets there and um, we, he, he's kind of standing there awkwardly trying to explain what's, what's happening. He's like, here's 10 bucks like to all of us. He gave you just $10 and we're like, what is going on? And, and he said, uh, we're going to go bowling. We're going to go uh, over to this, some bowling lane and uh, it's enough for a couple games and to get a, to get a pop or to get some chips or something like that. And he, wasn't, he, was, he didn't have a lot of, like, kind words, so that was kind of all he said. And then we were just sitting there, like, is, he, is this some kind of weird joke? Like, what, what's happening here? And, uh, and sure enough, we spent that, that day's practice was bowling and just hanging out with our friends. Um, I, I, he probably got this out of some, like, motivational coaching book or something like that. I don't know. Because I, I don't think I have many other gospel examples. But, but I, when I was thinking through this, it was like, that's a really, like, it's a small picture. But it's, it's something that helped me really understand, like, I, I was fully expecting this. And I got something way, way unfair that was beneficial to us. Like in the, in the metric or in the kind of the works of a high school basketball team, we did. We played badly. And I think it would have been good for us to run around and to, to get in better shape and to listen better and all that kind of stuff. Um, but in this, in this way, it was very meaningful. We did not really know what to do with it. It was this hugely unexpected thing that we ended up having fun, but it was a, a very strange uh, strange act from our, our sense. And so, um, again, in a much, much greater way, that is the type of thing that we are looking at here and the unfairness that, we are, that the gospel is. So the gospel is not fair, but it's exceedingly unfair in our, in our benefit. And uh, to see that in any, in any case that we can um, is helpful. Um, sorry, I'm a little behind on here. But uh, uh, Paul also says this in Ephesians 2.13. Um, he says, But now in Christ Jesus... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We who deserve death, escaping which is impossible, my man, are now saved. So is that fair? No. It's grace. God's grace in Christ being unfair in our favor. And so in light of this, then, I think that there's just, a, there's ne, there's, uh, we want to be careful of the word, like what to do and works, but what do, we, how do we, what do we take from this time? I think that there's kind of three um, three things I want you to kind of think about here as we, as we uh, get ready to go. Is that one is identify which laborer you are. Um, there's uh, another kind of labor that is, that is talked about here that I didn't mention before, and that that is those that are not yet in the vineyard. 
Thankfully, the master is calling to you. If you're here today and you're unsure of kind of where you stand in that picture of which these laborers you are, take this as God's invitation to you to join the work that he's doing in his vineyard. Not just by himself, but with others that he's called to work as well. He didn't just stay there saying, we're good. He is going out continually at the beginning of the day, midday, dinner time, and the 11th hour, he is going out and drawing people in. It doesn't require anything from you except to believe and trust that Jesus is who he says he is and accept his free gift of grace. Uh, John 6, 28. Um, sorry, this is at the end of here. But John 6, 28 says this. And they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What is, what is the work? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him in who he has sent. So belief, that is the work. That is all uh, accepting of the invitation of the master coming to draw you into his house. And if you are in Christ here today and a believer, praise God. God is using you to do his work in his vineyard through his power. If not, then simply receive that invitation to work with the master in his vineyard. Not because you have all the right things to do that, but because he loves you and wants you to be part of what he is doing. But even those of us in Christ know that our sinful nature wages war against us. Paul describes this well in Romans 7. So uh, at this point, he is a believer. He's talking about himself. He says, So I find it to be the law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see it in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. We can be like those initial workers who start to believe that we deserve more than the immeasurable riches we have in Christ. Take this parable as a reminder that when we see unfairness in our own lives, that in the grand scale, the unfairness that we experience is tilted way into our benefit. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, This light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This doesn't negate trials and difficulties in our own lives by any means. Uh, we can look every day in the news, in our own experience and lives, that, that those exist and that injustice is wrong. God seeks to, to right that. And yet, those things can help us point to, even in small and big ways, to that ultimately in the, the big picture of eternity and salvation, that that unfairness is way in our favor. And we will be comforted by that thought. Um, we, we spent a large number of, uh, of time in different places, and, and uh, about four years ago, we were missionaries in Haiti, and um, I'll tell you many more stories later, I don't have, a, I don't have enough that would, that would fit in this time frame here, but uh, very humbling and just inspiring time of talking to believers who are in very difficult circumstances in any number of ways. I know that, that doesn't negate what we can experience here in the U.S., but I think there's a, there's a level to which um, uh, Haitians experience in a day-to-day struggle, um, and yet they are some of the most faithful people that I've ever met in terms of their understanding and trusting that God, what God has for them, and seeing them and being thankful. Um, so yes, it does actually comfort those who are afflicted to recognize the gift that we have in Christ. It's not just something that we say, but it is a deep and meaningful recognition of the, the immense grace we're offered in Christ. And I think that we also need to recognize that God works in ways that we don't always and probably shouldn't always make sense to us. Uh, there is a warning here not to begrudge the, the faith of those who come later in life. 
Um, I think there's a temptation to those who have, have come to faith early uh, to be able to then look and to start looking at their own works as a, something that gets them a little, bit, um, a little bit higher up on the totem pole. I think this is a dangerous temptation. Fight it. Instead of grumbling, rejoice in God's amazing generosity that was first to us, but also then to those standing outside. Pray for him to go out and bring in more. Pray for that, that 11th hour for him to go out and grab more workers to come and join with what he's doing. Repeat this often to yourself and also to others in your family, your friends, your, your community groups. Let grace change the way that you think about things, transforming how you look upon the world and, uh, and what is fair. And to those that are maybe newly come to the faith, there's an encouragement that you're not somehow lacking or lesser of a Christian because you don't have a longer history with Christ. There's now, therefore, no condemnation. You receive what Christ has offered and, can, and will join in the rewards of salvation. There's no spiritual hierarchy or distinction, some other level that you have to attain. So which of these most closely fits you uh, today? Pray that God will reveal the truth that you need uh, from that here today. Um, Second, uh, just, uh, I put this as stand, but um, stand in awe at the master who comes to bring you into his vineyard and his work, who offers grace and love above fairness. Not that fairness is wrong, but that grace and love are so much greater than it. These parables give us a glimpse into God's character and a God who goes out and searches for his workers and searches for his people. Uh, the other image that comes to mind is talks about searching for his lost sheep, another parable that is uh, very powerful to help see that, that image. Taken more broadly, this is an image of the work that Christ did for us and his entering into our world, inviting us in and giving us a reward that is way more than fair. Romans 5.8 says, says this, For God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Be still and be amazed at this truth this morning. Um, I, th- there, there are different times where I really experience this, this kind of thing, and I think there's, it's very, very appropriate to take time just literally to be still. And for me, I know it's not probably everybody, I've, I've talked to those, it's not the case, but for me, like space is one of these things that always kind of gets me to stand in awe of God's just like hugeness. So uh, we just last week were able to kind of see the, the sky away from the city. And, and this is one of those times where we're just kind of looking up and stand in awe of what he has done. Um, this is, and so very, you know, broadly in creation, yes, but specifically what he's done for us on the cross. There is a, there's an element to just standing and, and seeing that here um, in our, our parable today. And then finally, to receive. Right? To receive grace that is infinitely unfair but for our benefit. And uh, I think Ephesians a lot from here, if, uh, a book I'd recommend uh, reading through um, in its entirety on this topic, but uh, one, uh, 2, 1 to 7 reads this, and you who were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and has seated us with him at the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. While we desire justice in this world, we really don't want fairness when it comes to God. If so, fairness is being banished from the kingdom and in a word, hell. But grace is that decidedly unfair act of Christ on our behalf. Receive that gift of grace here today for the first time or for the 50th in what Paul later also calls the boundless riches of Christ in Ephesians 3. 
When we are tempted to think we are deserving of more, be it eternally, we think we need more rewards, or right now that we, we deserve more right here in this world, let's remind ourselves of the truth and receive afresh the amazing grace of forgiveness in Christ. Uh, I thought it was uh, fitting, I didn't put this on the screen here, ending, but uh, in Lamentations 3, um, there's a phrase we even sang about in our, our song, one of our songs this morning, uh, to, that your mercies are new every morning. Lamentations 3, 22 to 24 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, and therefore I will have hope in him. So have hope in the, the work that he's done for us on the cross. Have hope in the fact that he has come out and invited you to be part of the work that he has done and to continue to share that with others and to re- realize that there is unfairness, but it is unfairness that is immensely in our favor. And so uh, as we end here today, I just pray for that for you. And uh, if you have any questions and things you want to talk about, I'm happy to talk with you here after the service or any other time here um, at, our, at our church. So please pray with me here as we transition uh, to a, some response. God,